Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Siada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. So hi and welcome to another episode of Change Making Women. Well, tonight we've got a special guest on the show, Kelly Deals. Um, and I just wanted to give a little bit of an intro into why I'm so excited to have Kelly on the show. So for about the past five years or so, I've been kind of interested in working online and doing some of the kind of work that I've been, I've been doing for many years offline, you know, trying to do it online. But I always had this funny feeling that like online marketing wasn't my, <laughs> wasn't my thing or that there was something about it that I couldn't quite get the hang of. And I couldn't articulate what, was, what it was that was jarring with me about it until I discovered Kelly's work. And I was so excited to find someone who was articulating some of the kind of ethical and... Um, yeah, kind of cultural issues around how some um, online marketing um, ideas um, are and how, how people are doing marketing online. And someone who is really um, uh, talking about that and also helping people to resist and work through some of the issues that it raises, particularly for women. So it's really exciting to have Kelly on the show tonight. We're going to talk to her about um, her new offering, which is the Feminist Marketing School, which launched recently. But first of all, let's introduce her. Um, so hi, Kelly. <laughs> hi, Marianne. Hi, Ziara. Thank you for having hi. me on today. You're so welcome. We'd love to hear where you are in the world today <laughs> and a bit so, more just about who you are. <laughs> sure. Literally where I am in the world today is um, Vancouver, Canada, mm-hmm. and I'm visiting with my parents right now. Okay. I'm uh, currently living in Trinidad. Um, we're taking care of an ill family member, so we'll be there for a, a good chunk of time. So I'm bouncing back and forth between the two countries. So that's literally where I am today. And uh, a little more about myself, um, I call myself a culture maker. I'm a writer and a feminist marketing consultant, and I am a mama of about seven million little children <laughs> to run <laughs> off my feet. <laughs> seven million. <laughs> and that's no exaggeration. <laughs> Yeah, I think we all we we all have a sense of being run off our feet, and I I know that um yeah we talk about that sometimes, don't we, Siada? But um yeah, so tell us a little bit more about the work you're doing online at the moment, mm. how you came to be doing it as well. So I think the the work that I'm doing right now, I, I'm sort of best known for my work writing about the female lifestyle empowerment brand, mm-hmm. and that's sort of a name that I pinned on this phenomena I was seeing in the online world and in the marketing world. And um, eventually I sort of noticed that this pattern was actually like getting in the way of me running my own business. And so what I'm talking about here is this, it's sort of four trends all mixed up into one thing. So one of them is online marketing using social triggers and trying to trigger people into unconscious sort of reactive buying in which the the seller is an authority and the buyer is obedient. I have certain principles around justice and equity that really 
run counter to constructing myself as the boss and someone else as subservient who's to do what I tell them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really rubbing me the wrong way. I also feel like my work in the world is to, you know, support and facilitate deliberate decision making. And so to trigger someone into subconscious buying is counter to my work in the world. Um, and I also noticed that the way that I was learning how to market was about me leveraging my beauty and constructing a, a luxurious lifestyle and presenting it online and being sort of lighthearted and positive all the time and basically perform a caricature of myself. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was a, a personal thing that I was experiencing. I, I, at the time when I was noticing it, Originally, I did think that I was like uniquely personally defective because I couldn't keep it up. I knew what the marketing system was and I just couldn't sustain it. Um, But now I realize it's actually a bigger issue. And and the issue is that this is a cultural archetype around what an ideal woman is supposed to look like and be like in the world in order to get rights and resources. And now that I realize that, I think, oh, this is a collective problem. This is a problem that is not just about marketing. It's not just about online niches. You know, this is literally in our mainstream world what it means to be a woman and which women are deserving of resources. And if we can perform that woman, we can get some. If we can't, we're out of luck. Mm. And so that's why I was uncomfortable with it. And so I wanted Mm. to give it a name because if we name it, then we make it tangible and we can start to resist it and do something different. Yeah, absolutely. I find it such a relief. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I I, I know, right? I know, right? I mean, it's such a relief. I mean, the fact that you just need to keep up all the time. It's just, yeah, and, and, and speaking of that, I guess that's to where I'm going to start uh, take up the conversation as well. Because when you're talking about, you know, the online marketing, especially, you know, you spoke of you know, sort of a master and, and a slave, lack of better words. Um, uh, you know, so let's jump into a personal branding, for instance, you know, particularly for women online. So... How should women use online marketing for the benefit of their own personal brands, for instance? That's such a good question, Ziada. It's, it's literally the, the question that is guiding my work of the last two years. Is So if we're not going to use this archetype mm-hmm. and we're not going to use those social triggers, what do we do instead? Mm-hmm. Because that's, yes. the norm. that's what we learn everywhere. What do we do instead? What's the other system? Um, and... What I think and what I've been working on in the last two years in various masterminds and working on with um, my one-on-one clients is we look at those systems, those marketing infrastructures, and we get really forensic with it. We literally like strip off the social triggers. We, we look for like, what are these particular techniques? What's the social outcome of these particular techniques? What um, narratives or cultural patterns do they reinforce? And where the outcomes are negative and not consistent with like the justice we're trying to create in the world, we strip them out. Mm-hmm. But even when you strip those things out, often an infrastructure or a skeleton remains that's still useful. And so I'll give you um, an example. So Jeff Walker's launch formula is pretty much the system that everyone uses. Pretty much every system that you're going to learn around online marketing has can trace its roots back to Jeff Walker's product launch formula. 
And what it is in essence is a sequence of emails and videos and email marketing and a shopping cart and sort of particular techniques to move people from, you know, the first blog post that they read to a purchase. So the structure, those things, the emails, the sequence of videos, um, the, the shopping cart, there's nothing sort of inherently wrong with any of those things. That structure can work um, for your business and grow your business and grow your reach. What's the issue is that he pours this thing on top of it and he literally calls it his special sauce. Um, he pours social triggers on top of it. He calls them mental triggers. He says there's nine mental triggers that um, construct authority, follow the herd, that kind of thing. And that's what his, he says creates his exceptional results. But the marketing infrastructure of the emails and videos and blog posts and social media, that works even without that special sauce. So we can strip out those social triggers that create social, socially oppressive outcomes and disempower our clients. We can strip them out and still use the marketing infrastructure. So that's one example. And I mean, I've seen that in a number of female lifestyle empowerment brands that I've studied. A lot of their systems, like the actual infrastructure, we can sort of rescue, we can dig out of the compost mm. and strip them of those techniques. But what that requires is having basically a structural analysis. You have to be able to connect the dots between different techniques and their social outcomes. So if you read about the mental trigger or the social trigger of reciprocity and you look at that and you realize, okay, what they're doing is they offer you a free gift mm -hmm. to sort of lure you into this sequence that they've initiated so that at the end you'll give them the thing that they want. Sure. Well, that is also how, you know, nightclubs work for heterosexual women. You go to a club and a man buys you a drink in the hopes that then you'll give him a conversation and hopefully that he'll initiate this sequence where you end up in his bed. So what is that? Like that's rape culture. So this is like when you look at that trigger being reciprocity being sort of abused in that way to construct a profit for a particular person that the other person doesn't know that that's what the sequence is. You know, then you have to kind of look at that. Like maybe that free gift technique isn't the way to go. Maybe these sort of bait and switch sequences aren't the way to go. So what, I'm trying to raise consciousness around, and this is one of the things I, I teach in my programs, like the first thing we go at is how do we deconstruct online marketing? How do we map out the social triggers and connect the dots between like the, the patterns in our culture that we wanna overturn? And the ones that we see are producing negative social outcomes, we get rid of them. And we use what's left, and if there's gaps, and there will be, then we get innovative and we invent new ways to create the, the same kind of effects that we were looking to create. I, I, I think that's so interesting how you connect it up. And I, I've read you talking about that before, the free gift to, you know, kind of to rape culture and to a, a culture that tries to give us something and then take things from us. And um, I wonder if, if you can name a few other social triggers just for people that are listening that maybe haven't really thought about online marketing and, um, 
tools and techniques before, except that I'm sure most of us are, are on the receiving end of them, even if we don't really realize it. Um, it can be, yeah. Marianne, it can be so useful if you're on the receiving end, if you're not a marketer, if you're on the receiving right. end and you know what the triggers are. Right. Because exactly. you only work on an unconscious level. So if you don't know what's being triggered, then it mm. works because it's happening below your conscious realm of thinking. But if you know what they are and you see them, then suddenly your your consciousness blocks them. You know, yeah, you that, watch them play out. Right, exactly. Because so that's what I was kind of thinking. Like, I like to think if a guy buys me a drink in a nightclub, I know when I want to say no to that. I like to think that at least. You know, so, <laughs> so can, that's can we it. talk about that for a second? Yeah, so yeah. Let's sometimes talk about people people do offer us gifts, and we just have this urge inside of us that we don't want it. Right. Mm. There's no reasonable reason that we don't want it. We just feel like, oh God, I don't want it. The reason that feeling of like, I don't want this thing, whether it's like a flower that someone hands you on the street or mm. a drink in a nightclub, the reason we have that like visceral reaction, like we don't want this, even though it seems like there's no strings attached, it seems harmless, is because we have social human conditioning inside of us around justice. And if someone offers us a gift, we want naturally to reciprocate it. Right. And then we know what that does is that initiates relationships. So sometimes someone hands us something or offers us something and subconsciously we don't want to be in relationship or in um, community with this person. And so we don't want that thing. Yeah. And, and that, so like reciprocity fundamentally is about justice, about, you know, you give me something, I give you something, we stay in community. This is how we distribute resources. It's just a natural human process. But what happens yeah. is a lot of people abuse that process in order to like construct asymmetrical rewards where the rewards yeah. all flow to them, where they yeah. extract things from us in the guise of community, in the guise of relationship. Yeah. So, so one of one of the other social triggers that I would want, that I, I definitely want to point out is around authority. So mm -hmm. again, we're human, you know, human, social human animals. We, we exist in context with each other. And so when we pick up signals that tell us someone's a leader, mm. our subconscious triggering to sort of obey leaders or defer or respect leaders, it's the survival instinct, right? Yeah. That gets triggered. So some of the, the signals of leadership are wealth, are authority, are followership, um, dominance, those kinds of things. When we detect those signals, we defer to the person displaying those signals, whether they're legitimate or not. Yeah. So what, a lot of online marketers will teach you to do is manufacture authority so that people can see you as an authority and then their subconscious obedience sequences get triggered and that will result in them eventually buying from you when you tell them to buy. Mm. So one of the ways that I, I see this online is on people's about pages. They'll tell you a rags to riches or a Cinderella story or in the beginning video of their sales sequence that you usually don't know as a sales sequence, they'll tell you a rags to riches story about how they used to be broke, fat, stupid, and ugly. And then they learned some sort of magic secret and now everything's awesome. And they're, you know, phoning this in from the, the yacht in the South Pacific, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now they can sell it to you for... Excellent. Right, for only like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so watch for the Cinderella story, watch for the rags to riches story where they learned one magic secret and now they're going to sell it to you. 
Because what they're doing there is they're not relying on their actual body of work. They're not relying on their 10,000 hours of expertise and practice or their immersion or their study or their apprenticeship. You know, they're not relying on any of those things. They're relying on telling you a rags to riches story to construct themselves as an authority to turn you into an obedient follower. So that you believe they've got the magic answer. Right. And I really think that one of the other things I want to women who are change makers and culture makers to know is following this formula is fundamentally dehumanizing and it's a version of playing small. And although we learn it from people who look very, very big, we learn it from very famous, very wealthy people. What we have to do is pour ourselves into a little container and instead of telling someone about your body of work and your expertise and the things you know and the contributions you've made and the impact you've created, instead of relying on those things so that people know that they want to work with us, we have to tell them a simple Cinderella story. Mm. And that's so much smaller than our work. Mm. Mm. So interesting. It's almost yeah. like we minimize ourselves and then, and then that's supposedly what sells. Right. And then what happens is um, I go to people's about pages when they're asking me to work with them and helping them with their copy and their message. And almost always I see the story, mm -hmm. but I don't see the credibility. So I've worked with people who've got multiple degrees and worked with the most amazing organizations and that story is not on their about page. Yeah. And, and I just like, where's your, where's the actual credibility? Like you spend all this time doing this work. You are a self-taught musician. Where's that story? You have a PhD. Where is that credibility? Like, why are we mm. not standing in our actual work? Yeah. Mm. It's such an interesting trend. And I totally know for myself having agonized about, you know, what to put on my website and kind of, and the, doing that thing of looking at other people's and thinking, Oh, like, I don't know whether I should mention X, Y, and mm. Z, you know, that I've written a book about something randomly different from what yeah. I'm doing right now. So should I not say that? But, I, but now you, you know, you raise my kind of consciousness a bit. I'm like, yeah, there's a way that we sort of put ourselves into this box of like, you know, how should I present myself? Oh, I should do it like they're doing it. Mm. <laughs> exactly. It's almost like you want to copy the next person who does something or you see their bylines and you're like, uh, that's a perfect byline. But then you have your own story to tell and you right. completely forget how to tell that story. Or you feel, okay, half of the time, I'll be honest, sometimes I just feel ashamed, not really ashamed, but I just feel like I don't want to tell this story because the world might think I am bragging. Mm. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. You know, I so, so you're brag. almost feeling, yeah, you're almost feeling like, okay, I don't want to sound like a braggadocio that I have this, I've done this, I've done that. Let me just keep it simple. But then by keeping it simple, and then you go to the next person, and like, yes, I want to be as simple as this, not realizing that's actually, that's what they stand on. That's their work. It's not really yours. I think I also want to emphasize that I know we do. I, I have this too. And I think it's our, our feminine conditioning about bragging that we're not supposed to stand up and be visible. We're not supposed to own our accomplishments and be sort of loud and proud about them. Um, and I think articulating our histories and our accomplishments to our clients creates a huge amount of reassurance in them. It's a risk to hire me. Like people spend thousands of dollars to work with me. It's a risk. Mm. And I think that it minimizes the risk or assures them that they're going to get the work that they're hoping for to tell them all the things I've done. 
to tell them about my academic background and the things I've studied and the different organizations I've worked for, you know, I think that is an offering to them. It's not bragging. It's, it's like reassuring them, like, I'm credible. I have this. I really will be a return on your investment. Yeah. And also when I, when, when we're talking about this, it makes me think about, you know, the way that women's stories are minimized often in our culture in general that you know just just by sharing our true selves that's you know that's a positive contribution right and not allowing ourselves to make our own selves small is in itself is you know it's a feminist act. The culture right exactly it is a feminist act and so this is one of the things that pains me sometimes because i talk a lot about the rags to riches cinderella story um, and how we have to avoid them and we need to stand more in our work and our credibility and our accomplishments and our immersions and our lineages instead. And what often gets interpreted is that I'm against us telling our stories. That's not true. I want for us to tell our stories. I think like every feminist action starts with telling our stories and another woman saying me too. Yeah. Um, like th- I think that's really important, but I want it to be our stories, not the Cinderella story. So on your about page, absolutely tell your story and list out your qualifications. Yeah. And don't shrink into the Cinderella story. Yeah. Well, I love that. So I'd love to hear a bit more about the about your feminist marketing school. I know it's your new offering, Kelly, and it's it, it looks really, you know, a really amazing way to work with you. So I'd love to hear a bit more about how it came about and what you're offering. Um, sure. Yeah. Thanks, Marianne. It's a 10-month it's a marketing and leadership development program. It's a class of 100 people, and we, we meet three times a week, so it's a fairly significant commitment of time. It's not as onerous as it sounds because there's no busy work. It's really just a lot of like support and community and like pointing the ship in the direction we want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the sort of the first... So it's 100 people, but we also meet in collectives of 20 to 25 people. So people will also have like incubator masterminds where they can have a more intimate experience and like get to know people and have a place where they can be brave and vulnerable and talk about their triumphs and their fears and, you know, fortify each other as they invent new ways to market their work and be visible. Because this is one of the things when we need to get visible to promote our projects and our organizations and our businesses, we have to actually flout a lot of the conditioning that gets drilled into marginalized people around being small, being self-effacing, being quiet, supporting the work of other people and not sort of following our own agendas and not, we also have some things around money and compensation too, where we're, conditioned to contribute uncompensated labor to other people's projects Mm -hmm. and it can be really uncomfortable then to stand up and ask for ask to be compensated so that's the kind of work that we're going to do in this collective of 100 people we're going to work on a topic every week we are going to meet and support each other and sort of galvanize each other and then we will meet once a week to apply so there's an hour long study block or 90 minute study block every week that just gets built into your calendar so that you don't do your development work off the side of your desk, that there's 90 minutes every week where you can actually sit down and do your work. So there's no content in that meeting, but everyone shows up and actually like rewrites their about page or writes a press release or figures out their, their sales funnel so that that work actually gets done. A lot of times what happens is we take courses, but we didn't build in the time to do the work. 
Yeah. And so we don't get the re we don't get the result. So right. that's why we meet so frequently is we're actually applying and doing the work. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Okay. And what kind of what kind of women are you hoping? Well, is it just for women? No, maybe not. It's for no, feminists. It's for, it's, it's for culture makers. So it's right. for people with feminist commitments. Okay. So people with a commitment towards justice yeah. who have projects who are in positions of leadership, who have businesses, who are coaches, who are healers, people who are at the helm of platforms that can also be used to contribute to cultural change. So I call those people culture makers. And they're always making things and doing things and they're committed to something bigger than themselves. So what I want for us to be able to do is market fluidly without sort of being in this state of cognitive dissonance where we have to sell out our principles in order to market. Mm. I want us to start with our principles, start with our feminist commitments and build the marketing out around them rather than having to swallow them in order to market. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and I want to ask you like, if someone's thinking they might be interested in joining, um, what would they what would you what would they hope to get out of the ten months? Because ten months is a commitment, right? For it really is a commitment. Mm. So what we're looking to do is build out your marketing infrastructure. So mm-hmm. get comfortable with visibility, design social media strategies, come up with your one true marketing message, figure out how to articulate that through all your marketing collateral and create that collateral. So that's what we're working on. There's also the leadership component, which is really figuring out how to tend communities, especially online communities, mm-hmm. and how to work collaboratively within a community and turn your community into an actual community and not an empire. Oh, I love that because I've noticed, yeah, that's something that I've had a real bugbear about for a long and time. I would, yeah, and I would actually, people might be like, huh? What is a community empire? What is a community community? You know? What's a real community? What's a community empire? What's that? What I see in online groups. elaborate. Yeah. Seattle, what I see in a lot of online groups, especially Facebook, and like Facebook is an absolute hotbed for organizing and thinking and connecting and mm-hmm. meeting with like-minded people and sharing good ideas. It's a genius place. Um, it's very problematic and I'll just sort of park that to the side right now. Right. <laughs> but one of my friends made a joke and said like, you know, like Facebook groups are, are where women are secretly like plotting to change the world. Mm. So Mm-mm-mm-mm. I see, but what I see happen a lot is in Facebook groups, uh, an entrepreneur creates them mm. and then sort of runs it like like a king or a queen, which mm-hmm. is that everyone must defer to her, everyone must follow her rules. We're here to glory to glorify her. There's like there's no community project. There's no common thing we're working on. We're just here to mm. adore someone who's famous. Mm. And okay. that that does not build skills and nobody actually interacts with each other. It's always like a many to one kind of interaction. That's Mm. about creating an empire for that particular entrepreneur. Mm, What I want to do is create communities where uh, we're rallying around a a joint project or a joint series of commitments we're making, not shared values, but joint Mm. commitments that we're making and working on that thing and like skill building and practicing our skills and sharing ideas and like 
spreading good ideas and, mm. and it's, you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. So in, in my own Facebook group, it's called We Are The Culture Makers. Um, not about me. You know, it's not about, it's not, it doesn't have my name on it. I, you know, like I'm not even the person who welcomes people to the group. I post and I contribute, you know, offerings and tutorials and thinkings. And so do other people. So we have discussions mm. and people talk to each other. They don't just try to talk to me and get my attention. Mm. So there are techniques you can use to foster that to actually foster like capacity building and common projects and skill building rather than like ass kissing. Yeah, and mm. that, to be honest, I really like I really welcome that, Kelly, because I it's something that I've noticed a lot is people online almost using this word community as if it's kind of something. What they mean is empire. They well, don't yeah, mean what community. they mean right, exactly. Yeah. What they mean is people that will right. buy my stuff, right? Right, <laughs> right. People right. that like flock around me, but they don't really mean this thing of building each other up. And for me it also speaks to this thing of, you know, we've been um you know we've been we've been taught to kind of be kind of in competition with each other often and um it kind of builds that sense in us like you know of comparing ourselves to each other and like look what she's doing and or, or you know that whole thing that could be can be a total internal dialogue of like oh you know I, I you know i can't do what she's doing or it builds that sense of comparison and actually that's not good for the women that are you know or, or women or men but people that are that are buying from us if we're creating that sense in them of like they're not good enough right <laughs> that's what it's right. well I mean that's also one of the ways that authority gets constructed too right absolutely so yeah like, I really want to like undermine and dismantle that yeah and I, I mean I just maybe I'm odd but I, I don't have this feeling that other business coaches or marketing coaches are in competition with me no. and my group there's a number of marketing professionals and I'm like mm. please like something here that I have that is useful to you that you can make something out of like take it and spread it you know like let's mm. spread these good ideas because even this this marketing formula the conventional marketing formula the female lifestyle empowerment brand it became a thing because it spread through communities yeah so what if we yeah. did the same thing which is why I have the goal of inviting a hundred culture makers into this group mm. into um, the, the feminist marketing school the paid program is because if all of those people then take those ideas and then spread them through their communities then we could actually like counteract and become the norm yeah, and like right. that's that that's really what i want us to do so i don't I, I just don't have this thing around competition i mean if someone took my entire program and marketed it as theirs then i'd have an issue that that's my yeah. you know creative property that i've spent two years developing but in terms of taking my ideas and taking them and building on them and planting them somewhere and growing them like please yes add your thing and make them better i'm i'm thrilled to do that and like yeah. the way i think about us as a collective we all have our work and so some people feel like oh i'm a i'm a painter so i'm not doing something as important as like a human rights worker and i feel like that's not necessarily true we all have a spot on the wall and i think of the wall as like this culture of inequity and oppression like a mm. game of thrones like massive wall and we all have a spot on the wall and we can take our chisel which is our work so I'm a writer and a marketer that's my work and if I go pick a spot on the wall with my chisel and I hammer 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 away with my chisel on that one spot on the wall which is the intersection between culture and marketing 
and everyone else lines up with their thing on their spot on the wall and their tool, their painting, their dancing, their comedy, their law degree. And everyone lines up on the wall and starts hammering away and other people are doing their work and they're making balloon animals and feeding kids and making lunch and playing music. And if we all come together, that wall will come down. Mm -hmm. We don't yeah. need to compare ourselves to each other. We all have our work. We all have our spot on the wall. And if we do it in tandem, that wall will come down and we will make a new world. Yeah. Amen to Absolutely. that. I, um, um, yeah. I wanted to say, I don't think you're odd, but what I do think is that we, you know, it's one of the sort of lies of patriarchy and of, of the system that we, that we're used to, that we, sh that we ought to be comparing ourselves and that somehow there isn't room for all of us. So I think that what you're doing is, is taking that down, you know, in what you're, in what you're speaking to right here, you know? Yeah. I am here because okay. women have lifted me. Mm -hmm. Right. I could be doing this. And if I was doing it by myself, I would be doing it by myself. Right. That and nothing, there would be no impact. I would have no influence, but I am yeah. here because people, a community has gathered around me and we're all taking our spot on the wall. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as a feminist, you know, especially online marketing consultant, what's your take on this obsession of numbers? Um, especially for women, we are, we, we are almost like obsessed to be influencers, obsessed to have bigger numbers on our social channels and so on. What's your take on that? I guess it's the metrics of our contemporary culture. And so one of the things I want us to start thinking about is what are the metrics of legacy? So like think forward into the future and this this beautiful just world that, that I want to create thinking forward into it. How am I going to be assessed by that culture? What are mm. they going to be looking at? What are the things that they're going to wish that I had done better or differently? Okay. And like, how will my great, great grandchildren think of me? I want to sort of be assessed by those metrics. Yeah. And when you think into that, what kind of things are different from, you know, maybe the metrics that you, that, that people might have been um, concentrating on or focusing on? Hi, it's Marianne here. And I wanted to tell you about Jijaze, the community I founded for women who want to make a real difference in the world, but do so without totally depleting themselves. In our community, we have resources to help and support you, discussions to inspire you, and loads of information about how really taking care of yourself is an important part of making change happen in the world. You can find out more about how to join us by going to www.jijaze.com. That's J-I-J-A-Z-E. -E. If you click on join us, you can jump straight to the info about how to join. We're so looking forward to welcoming you to our community. Right. So I don't think they'll care about like the size of my Facebook group. No, right. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> or how many people follow me on Instagram. Oh, right? Yeah. right. Like I don't think that they're going to care about that, but I do oh, think yeah. they're going to care about what books I write. Yeah. I do yeah. think that they're going to wish, you know, they're going to, they're going to want for me to have been on the right side of justice, mm. you know, and they're going to want for me to connect the dots beyond my own cultural framework and like move to shift it mm -mm. you know like when we are defined by the frame and the paradigm we're in it doesn't it doesn't hold up well you know like the history does not judge you kindly so i mean 
there are a whole bunch of things that I'm doing imperfectly now. So I'm a vegetarian, but not a vegan, but I do think like my great, great grandchildren are going to be sort of giving me the side eye over that. So, you know, I, I think about those things and I do my best. That being said, you know, growth is important. I need, I do need to know that I'm, I'm making some headway towards that vision. So I do loosely look at those metrics, but I look at them. So I don't know, like once a month. And it's mostly because my coach like asks me to do that. Um, they are, they are marginally important to me. Like I don't base my identity or, um, the work that I'm doing based on those numbers. And I can tell you that I used to like five years ago, I would check those numbers obsessively and whether or not a blog post landed was really, really important to me. The response, the adulation, the praise, that was really important to me, but I got lost in that. I lost my purpose and I started writing for applause. Mm. I don't do that anymore. I don't write for applause anymore. Yeah. And paradoxically, I get way more attention because I don't dilute my message looking for, for applause. So mm. I think we need to look inwards more to sort of self-actualization and less and a, a bit away from the ambition and the external rewards. Mm. Mm. I, I Absolutely. Think one of the interesting things about um, online, you know, kind of the online world, as I might call it, is that it, it's, if anything, I think it, it sort of, there's a way that it, that, that we, that we, we somehow find ourselves easily, you know, sucked into those things because they're kind of, you know, there's all these kind of things that ping on your phone or on your screen saying someone's followed you. And it's like, you know, some of these platforms are kind of dragging us in that direction unless we're conscious of that. You know, it, it's almost like, it almost feels like that there's something out there, you know? <laughs> it's actually, it's actually built like that. It's, it's right, called, exactly. I read an article about it saying that it's, it's basically a principle of evil design because it's an addiction principle, the, the yeah. principle of intermittent rewards. Mm -hmm. Keeps you sort of hungry and seeking for it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's built in to sort of addict us to these things. So I, I turn off the notifications on my phone and I'm really deliberate about when I'm doing things. Yeah. Mm -mm. And that's such good advice, I think. I definitely have had times when I've slipped into like noticing those things and had to build those that kind of container for myself where I'm like, okay, I only look at those once a day or I, you know, rather than have mm -hmm. these things pinging out everywhere at you. It's definitely, yeah, I would recommend that to anyone. <laughs> also really inter interrupt our creative flow. Like we can't do deep work if we're constantly being pulled out of it. Right, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> and that being said, I also think that social media has like such it's totally changed my life like i have met so many radicals and creatives and culture makers and i think differently and i work differently and i do differently because of that and i would never have had that if i didn't have access to twitter and facebook so i'm so incredibly grateful you know for social media and i even see it in my two of my daughters who are 11 and 13 they are incredibly sophisticated thinkers because they're watching videos and reading blogs and reading tumblers and like engaging with really challenging material and lots of diverse viewpoints. And it's completely, it's an education in and of itself. So, you know, I'm definitely not down on social media. I love social media. I just don't want to be, I don't want it to run me. 
yeah mm. so then i guess it comes down to how you use social media especially for you know for women and women empowerment and women entrepreneurs how they use social media for you know for their businesses let's say right mm. I, th- I think we just have to be really deliberate about it like we're the boss of it so yeah. i i think of it you know like i'm a broadcaster you know i'm i'm a <laughs> i'm a very you know, I'm not, I'm not CNN, I'm not BBC, but I consider myself a broadcaster. I put material out mm. for people to Absolutely. consume, but I don't really check to see how it's going down. I just broadcast it. Yeah. And then in my community spaces, I participate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it doesn't run you. I like that. It's, it's like, it doesn't run you as in the reaction to it then directs what you do next. You keep going with your with your work and with your, with your commitments. I think yeah. that's such a big, that's such an important distinction for people. Cause I definitely see some people I work with, you know, sucked in into things. Um, and it's definitely eat, eats up their life. But I totally agree that, you know, without these platforms, there's many things that I'm trying to do now that I, you know, I couldn't have done. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Right? Same for you, right? Yeah. So Kelly, I want to I want to change the the um, oh no actually before I do that I want to I want you to let our listeners know if you would like how they can if they're interested in finding out more about the feminist marketing school um, where they would find that information how to find sure. you and your group and stuff and then I've got another question for you. <laughs> sure. So you can find me at kellydeals.com. My last name is spelled D-I-E-L-S.com. Um, to find Feminist Marketing School, um, sort of brace yourself. <laughs> There's like a 6,000 word description of it. It's annotated. <laughs> like, <laughs> there are a lot of details on it. It's really carefully thought out. Um, and it's at kellydeals.com slash Feminist Marketing School. And I have a free Facebook group on Facebook, obviously. It's called We Are the Culture Makers, where we talk about exactly the kinds of things that um, Marianne and Ziada and I have just talked about, about the archetypes um, that women are supposed to perform in order to get rights and resources, how that flows in our businesses and our marketing, and how we can do it differently so that we, as entrepreneurs and leaders and culture makers and artists and creatives can rise and have thriving livelihoods and also consolidate influence so that we can interrupt and steer our social conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's a really great group if you're... If oh, thanks, Marianne. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I wanted to ask you, Kelly, while you're still here, about how a bit more about you. Like, how do you look after yourself and support yourself to be able to show up for this work? And we talked a bit about, you know, the social media thing and how you take care of yourself with that. But what other ways do you use to to look after Kelly so you're able to do this work in the world? So that's such a good question. I'm so glad you asked that. And my answer is imperfectly. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, the reason I'm so glad you asked it is because I don't want us to treat ourselves like we are like resources, you know, like we are, we're humans and mm-hmm. we're family members and we're lovers and we're whole human beings. We're not defined only by our work. Yeah. Um, so how I like to swim. 
So that's important to me. I have a puppy. That's important to me. I love hanging out with my kids. That's important to me. Um, taking time off actually doesn't restore me as much as, you know, the narrative around self-care would suggest. Mm. I actually get a huge, huge rejuvenation boost from writing. Mm -hmm. So I honestly, I would work all day, every day if I could. And if no one would interrupt me, I love, love, love writing and thinking and connecting with people. So that actually is more rejuvenating. Like I read a piece in the New York times by an editor I once worked with, um, Anna North and she wrote like work is her self care. And I was like, Oh, I get that. Like I really actually do get that. Um, mm. I'm not talking about the kind of work where I'm doing like administrative work or like picking up the phone and talking to people. I'm talking about like sort of like the, the thinking kind of work that, and the writing work that I love to do. It's really restorative. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm trying to do is actually have less meetings, mm -hmm. trying to scale down the number of meetings I have so that I'm not sort of always being run by circumstances, I guess. And also it takes a lot out of me. I'm a little bit of an introvert, so it takes a lot out of me to be in meetings and on phone calls and that kind of thing. So I'm doing a little bit less of that. Um, and I guess one of the things I've learned recently too is just, boundaries you know like when people are trying to get me to do things that I don't feel comfortable with it means they don't have my best interests at heart and yeah. so I've just I've just got to say no to that and I've got to find yeses that feel really 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 great and I mean the yes that feels really great right now is feminist marketing school and um I also have ther a therapist <laughs> mm -hmm. and every once in a while I touch base with a somatic therapist to like find an interesting way to get at things that, you know, talk therapy is not getting at. Um, and I have just beautiful relationships, not a whole lot of them, but like really tender, beautiful relationships. And that is really restorative. Thank you for Lovely. that with us. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you just finally, so, for people listening, like, what's the one thing you'd, or one or two things, what, what would you love them to remember about this show and um, what we've shared this evening? Like, what's the takeaway you'd like people to have? I guess what I'd like people to know is the reason that women are overworked and overwhelmed isn't because we're, like, uniquely defective around organizing our time or not able to get it together or any of those things. It's because there's a collective situation shaping our time and making an extraordinary number of demands on us. Uh -huh. And I also want them to know that the female lifestyle empowerment brand isn't just like a, a marketing trick that gets played on us. It's actually a cultural archetype telling us how to be a proper woman and what a proper woman looks like. The ideal woman is white, young, pretty, heterosexual, able-bodied, um, cisgendered, and anyone who's not that, who's not the usual suspect, is going to be, is going to have a hard time rocking these female lifestyle empowerment brand marketing systems because they're not designed to work for them because you can't leverage those privileges and those trophies authority so it's it's not just that it's a, a marketing narrative it's an actual cultural archetype so it's really important that we resist it and take it apart and find a different way 
to be in the world and make a different world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, I think when you say that, what occurs to me as well, just to sort of unpack it a bit for people is, it's not just in the marketing, but it's in, you know, in, in what we're expected to be, maybe when we look at magazines or the TV or film or whatever it is, right. this archetype is there, right, of the, of the woman who, you know, who is Even in our stuff. personal relationships. Right. Like if we don't show up like that in our personal relationships, we're going to feel some friction mm-hmm. often from our loved ones and family members and friends. Mm-hmm. Cause we're not the, we're not the archetype that's, that's favored. Yeah. Right. And so we're going to have to earn every single thing that comes our way. Cause we're not the right woman. If there's yeah. something in life, I want to resist it. But... <laughs> I think we're all on the same page there, right? That yeah. is it's not good for any of us. And it, it's fundamentally dehumanizing. It's, it's, we've just got to do better. And I, that's the thing when I say we're culture makers is we have the power. Culture does not exist without us. It's not this mm. like static creature. It flows through us. It's human. So every single one of us gets to decide how we want to culture make. Yeah. Every little way. Yeah. So each of us resisting is part of, is part of the solution, right? And inventing each of us resisting and inventing. That's the solution. Mm. We have the power. We are the culture makers. Absolutely. I have learned a lot today. Thank All you right. so much. First, yeah, first thing is first, I'm just going to take out those notifications. <laughs> <laughs> that thing throughout the day. <laughs> and our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at Eleanor Brown Music dot com.